Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. I'm hopeful that I can bring, I suppose, like the key aspects, the key changes that are required within the organisation, but I'm also very confident that I have the support of the members. Unanimous support by the board and unanimous support by the council, which I think is a healthy situation. There is a controversy, there is an issue, and it, it, could, it could have been... In, 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 you know. I, won't, I don't want to, embarrassing isn't the right word. The FAI have a financial commitment of 74 million euros to make the lands on road state in development. Uh, if we had to write that checks, those checks tomorrow morning, we have the facilities to do so. End of story. Would you? Tell me any business that's got loads of cash. <laughs> I don't know many. Everybody's cutting back, everyone's deep people go, everyone's looking at their expenditure. That's the world that we live in. Does the minister believe that taxpayers' money is being deployed effectively based on what he is seeing? What a great drink! What I did it in the best interest of football. A debt figure of 55 million is pretty horrifying. Yes or no answer? Well, I'm not saying yes. It appears that you, you're giving the two fingers to not just Sport Ireland, not just the Transport Committee. Did you ever um, consider your position? I, I, I've read my statement already. For 15 years, John Delaney was all-powerful in Irish football, bestowing favours on those who supported him and crushing those who opposed him. But in 2019, the Sunday Times journalist Mark Ty exposed the financial chaos at the heart of Delaney's FAI and the lavish lifestyle paid for by an organisation on the brink of ruin. The fall of Delaney and the betrayal of Irish football is documented in the best-selling book Champagne Football, written by Mark and his colleague Paul Rowan. And Mark joins us now. Mark, thanks for talking to us. Your book begins with an in-depth account of John Delaney's glitzy 50th birthday party, which took place in October 2017 uh, in Mount Juliet. Paint us a picture of, uh, of that evening but also tell us what it says of what John Delaney had become and the organisation which he led had become at that stage. Yeah, I suppose we, we started with the, this uh, 50th birthday party, a, a real lavish birthday party where you had Peter Kelly, better known as Frank from, uh, you know, Weddings by Frank, um, you know, he's a TV star in his own right. He was brought in to help organise the party. You had FAI staff working at it. You had the great and good in the John Delaney circles there. You had the Ireland team manager at the time, Martin O'Neill. You had Eamon Dunphy, John Giles. You had local football administrators. You had John Delaney's family. You had some sponsors of the FAI. Um, so a real mixture of people and, you know, a James Bond theme, mm. um, 0050. They had special logos made up. They had ice sculptors and Walter PPK ice sculptor. It's kind of a centrepiece of the drinks reception. Um, you had the, the great good of football as well. Like Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, had, had come there with a, a big UEFA delegation, made their way down to Kilkenny. So we, we wanted to kick off there, I suppose, to show, you know, this is John Delaney at the height of his powers. Mm. You know, the, the cash is being splashed. FAI staff are working on this event themselves. People have got invites from FAI.ie email accounts. 
and my own staff have been absolutely brilliant. This isn't part of their job to organise 50 and 40. They won't be doing one again for a while, trust me. We'll give them a big round of applause for my own staff. The total cost that was 80,000 euro paid out for the FAI, you know, money paid to Franck, 25,000 euro, 25,000 to Mount Juliet, four grand to the High Kings band. Uh, John Delaney had repaid 50,000 of that, so, you know, the FAI picked up a total tab of 30,000 euro. Again, Mad, mad stuff. You know, why was the FBI even incurring that expenditure in the first place? Who, who was who was overseeing that? So, you know, jaw-dropping moment. Extraordinary event. A, a James Bond-themed 50th birthday party. Um, it's quite a moment to jump off from, because if we if we if we take it way back to his rise and, and see how it got to that that stage, and, and and the rise of John Delaney can't be understood, I guess, without understanding the demise of his father, Joe Delaney. Now, we first meet Joe Delaney. Uh, who was the honorary treasurer of the FAI at the World Cup in 1994. And he's sitting in a hotel room uh, surrounded by thousands of match tickets and tens of thousands of dollars of hard currency in suitcases. Mm -hmm. What happened to Joe Delaney and how did that influence the actions of John? Yeah, so like, you can't tell John's story, as you say, without you know, telling the story of Joe's demise. And, and that all came to a head through amazing investigative work by Veronica Guerin in the Sunday Independent in 1996, exposing the FAI's dealing with ticket touts and you know, extraordinary deals where hundreds of thousands of euro were, were going out from FAI money to ticket touts and gaps, the money wasn't coming back in and Joe Delaney had to repay some of that money and Veronica Guerin exposed that in the Sunday Independent at the time. And this brought things to a head in football parlance it's, it's known as the night of the long knives mm. where all the senior people in the FAI had resigned and there was a big meeting of the FAI council which is like the the GA congress you know where all the power brokers in local football and league of ireland came together and it was you know this is you know just after the jack charton era um and it was broadcast on live tv at the time you know from the hotel Eamon Dunphy was giving live updates um Cahill Durvin it was giving live updates on tv Bill O'Hurley he was hosting this and um it was an amazing kind of moment, I suppose, where Joe fell on his sword, and you know he took the, the hit for this. And it was a moment of huge, a moment of huge grievance, I suppose, for the Delaney's that Joe had said all this money had been repaid. This wasn't a secret that the FAI were operating like this. Like the fact that if you went to this hotel in Orlando in the 1994 World Cup, and you can get your tickets out of Joe's suitcase and it's pay him the way cash. things were being done. It was just the way that the FAI was operating. It wasn't a secret. Like Eamon Dunphy went up there and got tickets. Brendan Menton, who came in later as a FAI senior administrator, he went up and got his tickets there. As you say in the book, he offered to, to procure a, a cash or a, a credit card machine, but Joe said, no, cash only. Mm. So J John was there that night on the night of the long knives when his father was effectively, you know, lost his position in the FAI. And it was something, you know, we spoke to reporters who were there at the time saying it was, it was like Shakespearean, you know, that John was there already saying that he would, he would come back, you know, that his father would be avenged or, you know, that his reputation would be restored. Yeah. And, you know, that was really the seed of John Delaney's um, time, you know, to, to, to grow then in, into the FAI in his own right. You've, you've given a picture there of the way things were being done in the FAI at that time. And there are some memorable quotes in the book about the association. One person refers to it, to the FAI being like Afghanistan, run by feudal lords. Another attributed to a former general secretary says working there was like being crawled over by snakes. How much did the dysfunction that followed, uh, that, that was there at the time, lay the ground for the rise of, of, of John Delaney? Yeah, you, like, this is a problem the FAI have had to deal <laughs> with for so many years and that you know, it's an international organisation with you know, superstar footballers playing international games for them. But, 
you had the Blazers, the, the local football guys in charge. And for, 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 for so long, you know, they didn't have a professional structure in there, a professional setup to deal with the, the huge amounts of money coming into the game from the 90s onwards. So you had also, obviously, the tickets mm -hmm. was a big thing, but then the TV money started getting greater and greater as well. But still, you had this amateur structure in place where you had these um, volunteers basically running the show and the, the administrative staff, you know, taking orders from them. And that continued to be the case, really, uh, up until Saipan and the 2002 World Cup, you know, that the, 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 these uh, volunteers, the Blazers, really were, were, running, the were running the show, you know, and that there wasn't a proper professional structure in place underneath them. Delaney, whether, whether to avenge his father or whatever his motivations were, makes very quick progress up, uh, up the ranks, shows great political skill, um, becomes honorary treasurer himself, is involved in the Aircombe Park controversy where he campaigns against the building of that. That leads to the demise of Bernard O'Byrne, who was general secretary at the time. But you mentioned it there. Is it in the aftermath of the Saipan affair in 2002 that he really comes to, to public prominence? And in those sort of crazy days after the Roy Keane affair came out, that, is that when he, just, he starts to seize real control of the association? Definitely. Like, it was amazing, actually. There was a lot of sympathy for Delaney after <coughs> what happened to his father among the, the, the FAI, the football community. And, you know, he, he quickly came into the FAI and he quickly became honorary treasurer, which is amazing, you know, so, so soon after his father's demise in the FAI structure. But given then this global story of Roy Keane walking out or being sent home uh, from the 2002 World Cup, there was huge media attention. All the media descended on Merrion Square, where the FAI headquarters were. And you had um, three senior FAI people, uh, John Byrne, Des Casey, who was on um, UEFA Exco. He was the most powerful, one of the most powerful people in Irish uh, football and in European football. But John Delaney puts his hand up and goes, I'll, I'll handle this, lads. Mm. You know, John was, was, was no shrinking violet. Team manager Mick McCarthy has informed the FAI that following a team meeting today in Saipan, that he has requested Roy Keane to leave the squad and return home. The meeting was attended by the entire playing squad and coaching staff. We understand the consensus of the meeting was that Roy Keane's recent remarks were totally unacceptable. It is also understood that Roy's response on, on the matter to the manager was considered objectionable. He embraced the media attention and he, he performed very well in front of the cameras, in front of the world's press. You know, he said, you know, what's happened is awful. There, the, there's clearly problems on the FAI side of things. And, you know, by, by being that face throughout, then the, the kind of on, everyone remembers how long the FAI uh, Roy Keane saga went on for weeks. Yeah. Would he come back or would he not? You know, John Delaney was at, at the front of attention on that, you know, with Alex Ferguson or would an Irish billionaire send a jet out to get Roy Keane back? He was intricately involved in all of that and you had people like Eamon Dunphy going on primetime at the time saying, you know, this is the new blood, this guy is different from all the rest, John Delaney, he's trying to sort out this mess that, that caused, you know, the, 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 the issues in Saipan where the kit wasn't there in time or that the pitch wasn't in good, good enough quality. Mm. So, you know, logist, basic logistical problems that it should have been sorted out. They're saying, well, look, actually, John Delaney's the guy trying to fix all this. And so from then on, he was kind of the, the coming man, you know, and people said, this is the new blood this the, the FBI needs. Yeah. He's an accountant. He's a businessman, successful businessman. He was portrayed as, and you know, very much so. This is this is the kind of not the old blazer type that we've had leading the FA before. This is, the, you know, exciting new brand of uh, administrator of the f football needs. Having said that, he does manage to survive his first controversy uh, at that time, his first real personal controversy, where he appears to offer Mick McCarthy a one hundred thousand pound sterling bonus uh, during the World Cup. 
and then sort of absolves himself of uh, denies responsibility for having done so, which leads to a bit of a controversy that that he manages to get himself out of. Yeah, it's an extraordinary f affair that Liam Gaskin, Nick McCarthy's agent, um, you said that it was John Delaney suggested that you know when Ireland had done well and they drew with Germany, you know, famous Roy Ke Robbie Keane late equaliser, and they were going to get into the second round. He said, you know, Mick and Mick had to deal with so much media and and you know, venomous kind of media attention that uh, Liam Gaskin put it on an affidavit. John Delaney suggest suggested Mick, who hadn't signed his uh, new contract at that stage, should get a hundred thousand uh, pound bonus effectively. But then later on, um, John Delaney blamed the Brendan Menton, who was the CEO at the time, saying that's actually Brendan's fault. Didn't have the contract signed with Mick in time. And it only came out later, I suppose, that Liam Gaston said, hang on, this is all John Delaney's idea to ask for this bonus. You know, there was a lot of controversy about it at the time, but John Delaney survived. At, at the end, you know, people like Brendan Dillon, a solicitor from UCD, and definitely someone who had no time for John Delaney, he, he puts his hands up, we interviewed him, and he said, you know, we said, look, there's too much messing with the FBI, you know, a lot of bloodletting. Uh, let's just let this go, you know, let, let this go. And uh, as, as he says in the book, you know, uh, no sooner had that, they'd agreed to kind of let, give John a pass on that one, that, that John was throwing his weight around again and saying, you know, poor me, you know, why do you got, what, what was all this focus on me about? And he says, you know, what have we done here? What, what kind of, what have we unleashed on, on, on the FAI by, by kind of giving him this pass to, to, to continue on? Unanimous support for his appointment on an interim period. How long is that Unanimous support period? by the board and unanimous support by the council, which I think is a healthy situation. When, when I took it over, the association was in rag order. Really was in rag order. I'm the boss. I'm the gaffer. And in 10 years' time, when those seats are sold again and the naming rights are resold, that would be a cash cow and a toll bridge for the association at that juncture. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mark, the writer Paul Howard, who was a sports journalist at the time covering the football beat, um, says that when John Delaney came along, he seemed like a messiah because he wasn't useless, or he certainly didn't appear useless at the time. When the dust settles on Saipan, is Delaney seen as the great reformer here, the man who's going to put it all right? Yeah, if, if you look back at the media archives at the time, and even in the Sunday Times, you know, Delaney was portrayed as, you know, the, the, the really great hope of Irish football. And, you know, when Genesis happened, you know, John, was, John Delaney was out there promoting it, saying we need to do these reforms. You know, if these reforms don't happen in terms of lessening the control of the, the Blazers and 
creating a new executive, you know, a powerful CEO, which is one thing he really focused on. You know, he said he'd walk away if that didn't happen. And mm. so he really did help push through that with others, um, on, on, like Brendan Dillon that we mentioned. And, you know, the FBI started headhunting then when Bre Brendan Menton left post Saipan and Genesis. The big executive that they landed was Fran Rooney, who who'd had a lot of success globally with Baltimore. It ended badly, but he had football experience, a mixture of that kind of executive experience. And he came in as you know, the, the great hope of the FAI, um, and very much wedded to John Delaney, though at the time, you know, they were seen as a, 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 a you know, an act where both of them were kind of working hand on hand. Where John Delaney was the treasurer and, and a volunteer still, but Fran Rooney was the executive, the new CEO in charge of the FAI. How does he begin to eliminate rivals at this time? And is it clear, despite Fran Rooney's appointment, that his eyes are on the top job? Or how soon does that become clear? It, it became, well, people who were opponents of John Delaney at the time, and there was plenty of them, like Brendan Dillon, they, they quickly clashed with Fran Rooney. Um, and people like Brendan Dillon resigned from the FAI board at, at the time. He made complaints about Deloitte. He made complaints to the Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement already. This is going back to 2004, mm. saying that there was issues with the FAI's accounts. Um, Fran Rooney moved against a lot of people that would be considered anti-John Delaney, and they were gone. Kevin Fahey was a, another kind of um, senior uh, volunteer in the FAI who had been very strongly opposed to how John Delaney was operating on the board. He was removed for his minute taking. They didn't like what kind of the minutes he was keeping off the FAI board meetings. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, you have just, it's Fran, it's the Fran and John show. And the next thing, Fran Rooney, as we say in the book, you know, he realizes actually John has no more enemies. The next thing, Fran became the target, saying Fran is gone. You know, there's a move against him saying he, he's, he'll be gone. But they, they appointed a new interim CEO and none other than John Delaney took the reins of control then. Mm, and that's where it all uh, really starts. He becomes interim chief executive, as you said, in 04, 2005 becomes the chief executive and, and the reign really begins. A lot of this sort of early era is concerned with the hiring and firing of, of managers. He, he doesn't renew Brian Kerr's contract, brings in the so-called world-class management team in Stephen Staunton and, and, and uh, along with him Bobby Robson, which is disastrous. And how damaged is he personally and how wounded does he feel by, by how badly all that had gone? Yeah, like one of the early uh, losses he had was the appointment of Brian Kerr. But then when he gets in there and Brian Kerr had some iffy results, Ireland didn't qualify for the, the World Cup. Uh, and, you know, next thing Brian Kerr is gone. John Delaney was the ma main instigator in that move. Uh, they bring in the world-class management team of Steve Staunton and, and Bobby Robson, which is a disaster. And you can see quickly, that's when the, you have the first Delaney out banners. You know, it's, it's because John Delaney had over-promised on the world-class management uh, statement, and, it, and he brought in uh, someone who'd never managed a professional football team and had some we had disastrous results, like away at Cyprus. It, it was quickly personalised. The fans, you know, moved, were putting up these anti-Delaney banners, and he, I think, he felt very personally damaged by that and aggrieved that he was being targeted like that. And you could see John trying to spread the blame. John Delaney was saying, "Well, look, there was a, an appointments committee. You know, I was only one member of that." Um, so then Steve Staunton is, is, is put out and the, 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 the search begins for, the, for the, new, uh, the new Ireland boss, which is such an important position. The, the, the next stage is, is where Dennis O'Brien comes in and, and funds the recruitment of Giovanni Trapattoni, and this is seen as a big coup and a, and a, and a big deal. Perhaps more sig significantly, though, for in the long term, this was around the time that the Aviva Stadium um, deal was done, the, the agreement to build it with, with the IRFU, and he would come to see this as a as, as a, his great legacy for Irish football, that they'd have their own stadium. But it's a pivotal moment in the story, Mark, isn't it? Because 
it begins, it's, it's the seed of the downfall in terms of the financial fallout it yeah. provokes. Yeah, and look, John Delaney, uh, for, forever, you know, he'd be interviewing him after, his, after the, the Aviva opened, you know, he'd say, look, that's my legacy. This is what I've done, a, per a permanent home for Irish football. We're not tenants, we're, 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 we're co-owners here with the, with the Irish Rugby Football Union. But we, we wanted to dig into that. And I suppose, you know, we, we spoke to FAI people saying, you know, from the get-go, this was a bad deal for the FAI. You know, the, the, the FAI just couldn't make, generate the same amount of money out of home games. The standard of Irish football really collapsed as well, I suppose. You know, we had a lower standard of players. The crowds weren't coming to the Aviva. The, the corporate money wasn't coming in. So the IRFE would make so much more money out of their home Six Nations matches than the FAI ever could. And then the FAI, to, to cap it all, I suppose the FAI, John Delaney announced the Vantage Club scheme, you know, where he's looking for €12,000 for the, the basic tickets for... Uh, These are the premium tickets that were going to generate all the money to cover the debt. Yeah, and then despite people, you know, scratching their heads, going, what are you doing? Why is, why is it so much more expensive? They went up to €36,000 for the halfway line tickets, the 10-year tickets. I suppose, I think he was emboldened by how many people were, were going to Crow Park when Ireland were there, and uh, he thought they were achievable. Over a decade later, he admit that they were badly uh, priced, and he blamed it on the advice they got at the time. But, you know, talking to board members at the time when they... They meekly raised eyebrows or queries about this. John Delaney would quickly dampen those down and say, look, we've got advice on this. We have to go with this. This is going to be our cash cut. Everybody's cutting back. Everyone's leaving people go. Everyone's looking at their expenditure. That's the world that we live in. Yeah, we'll have a mortgage. Yes, we'll have debt. But we'll be able to service that debt. And in 10 years' time, when those seats are sold again and the naming rights are resold, that would be a cash cow and a toll bridge for the association at that juncture. He would also say that, oh, we were unlucky. You know, the bottom fell out of the global financial markets at that time. You know, how, how justifiable is that as an excuse for what happened? Well, look, that, everyone knew that was happening at the time. You could, you could see what's happening in 2008. So, yeah, it, it was unlucky. But even if the Celtic Tiger had gone on forever, it's hard to see people paying those amounts of prices. And... I suppose this is John Delaney's greatest fault was that he couldn't admit when he got something wrong. So, mm. you know, they were still putting those tickets out at those prices, but after it became quickly apparent, people weren't even paying, the people who had agreed to buy them, they weren't paying those amounts. They were secretly doing deals and giving them more tickets for the same amount, and, or they were sending tickets out to clubs and encouraging grassroots clubs to spend their hard-earned money or, you know, local leagues to spend their money. So you had the, the piglets you know, we're, we're get, putting all the money up to the Sahu, you know, mm. it's just kind of a, a, a backward situation for Irish football. It's, yeah, so just spell out the, I mean, the financial carnage that this caused. I mean, you've touched on there that the pressure went from corporate Ireland wasn't delivering the money, the pressure went on the, the small clubs and associations around the country. But this is really the jumping off point yeah. in terms of the financial uh, terms f for everything that happened in the years to follow. Yeah, everything was tainted, I think, from that time on, you know, that... John Delaney could never admit that he got this wrong because, you know, if the board had really looked at it coldly in the light of day, they would have said, look, John Delaney really miscalculated there. We, sh we should get someone else and clean up the mess. But no, he was there and he didn't want to admit how bad it was. So the, a secrecy came over the FAI's finances that had never really been there before. You know, don't talk to the media about this. The media became very much the enemy and John Delaney would have been very friendly with a lot of uh, journalists. He would have given them tip-offs on, on stories, briefed them off the record. That kind of stopped, you know, because the media rightly were, the soccer journalists were asking the hard questions and he wasn't able to give the answers. And so, as you say, all, all aspects of the sport, of the football in Ireland suffered because the FEI were struggling to repay their massive loans that they'd taken out for the Aviva Stadium. And, and there's a source at the time which says that from 2010, because of the failure of the ticket plan, that the FAI was technically insolvent. It was effectively insolvent because it was using what John Delaney was doing to plug the gaps, was getting the, 
the income, future income, and drawing that down early, whether it be from UEFA TV uh, money or spo sponsorship. Sponsors were given huge discounts to pay the money up front. He was using that future income, rabbits out of the hat, plugging the gap, you know, meeting the loan repayments, and, and keep the show on the road. You know, and don't, don't let anybody think that there's something wrong here. And at the same time, going around saying, yeah, we'll be debt free by 2020. And at the same time, being one of the best paid chief executives of an associate, football association in the world on a salary that peaked at just over 430,000 euro a year. I mean, there's no secret, it's worth 8 million euros gross to qualify. That's what UEFA gave us. Whatever profit comes out of the euros, we'll put that against the Aviva debt. And you can't put a value on the development of, of, of soccer in this country on the back of this disqualification. So if you want a free drink, get to the bar. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.